All right, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, if you would. Um, we're going to have a series that is it's called Shadows of Christ, and it's going to be uh, kind of throughout the year, off and on, when we have opportunity to, to bring up another shadow of Christ or a type of Christ from the Scriptures. We'll, we'll throw that back into here. We'll have about four weeks on this right now, and then we'll head into a pre-Easter um, outreach series. But right now, we're looking at shadows of Christ. Uh, we're looking at the shadows in the Old Testament that are, that are types of Christ, that are shadows of Christ, that, that point to and serve as an example uh, of God, God's provision of the Messiah to us. And it, it shows God's redemptive plan in history. So uh, as we look at these shadows and, and types of Christ, uh, what, we're, what we're looking at is a question that you and I should ask and answer in our own heart. And that question is this, uh, will we trust God? Can we trust God and will we trust God? Are we going to see that this is God's provision and this is what God has set up and that we look forward to Christ and you and I look back at Christ now, but we can see Christ interlaced through all of the Old Testament and then he's given to us as the substance of all things hoped for. So today I want us to, uh, to read in, in Numbers 21, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to read Numbers 21 verses 4 through 9 and then we're going to See where that shadow or type is shown in, um, in the New Testament as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to come together today to, to be here, worshiping you. God, to, to sit under the authority of your word. God, we, we desire to yield to your word and let it impact our lives and, and direct our lives. So God, open our hearts and minds to be receptive to it. God, I thank you so much that you desire to instruct us. You desire to help us grow and, God, help us trust you more because, God, you are always faithful. As we look to your word, God, may we see you as always faithful, as totally satisfying, as the greatest treasure we could ever have. Guide our time this morning. Help us to be conformed more and more into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. All right, so Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many of the Israelites died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it to a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it to a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. This is the word of God. Uh, interesting shadow, and, and maybe today as we start, uh, I, I think we started with an easy one, right? A kind of an easy way to see that this is like uh, an easy shadow, that it really depicts something else, right? Something was lifted up on a pole uh, to be used as a means of cleansing and healing for all that would look on it with faith. Does that, does that kind of make sense? There's an analogy there, right, to Jesus? If you, if you didn't catch that, I, I want to read the part of the New Testament where Jesus explains that this is exactly pointing 
to him. And, and this is in a conversation with uh, a religious leader, Nicodemus. And if you went back to our, our series, uh, Written So That You Might Believe, uh, you would see this, this has already been preached on and taught about. And Nicodemus was, was eager to find out more about who, who this person was, who Christ was, and what he was here to do. And, and this conversation happened in John chapter 3, and you can turn there if you'd like in your Bible, John 3, uh, beginning in verse 14. So there's this conversation happening, but, but this is one of those places that it rests right in that for God so loved the world passage of Scripture. Right? So it's, it's right in the middle of that, and it's, it's right in the middle of, of Jesus explaining to Nicodemus what you must do to be born again, right? that you must be born again, and what, what does that look like? How do, you, how do you become born again? So I want to tie this in, in John 3, beginning at verse 14. Here's how Jesus responds and what he says to Nicodemus. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is, this is a conversation Jesus is having here with Nicodemus, and, and Nicodemus is face to face with the Son of God, with the Messiah, and this snake in the wilderness. And, and you got to understand, Nicodemus understood the story of the snake in the wilderness, that he understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. He had it all memorized, he understood the, the depth and the weight of it, and now he sees face to face what it was a shadow of and pointing towards. And, and here's, here's this scenario you think about this, and it's kind of interesting. They're there at night, right? And they're, they're talking. Nicodemus comes in the dark of night to talk to Jesus. And, and it's, it's, I, play, I play hide and seek with my kids sometimes, right? Or they play hide and seek with me. And, and, and there's other things in my house. Like I, I try to find out how do I know what's going on in different places in my home, right? Without having to really go there and, and look and make my presence known. So I, I use reflections a lot. You ever do that? Like I can use reflections off of a, a TV screen or a window and kind of see some movement or motion. Maybe I see a car coming up. Uh, or, or I'm in my living room, and I can, I can, there's, a, there's a mirror right on my wall, on, on the um, south-facing wall, that, that kind of I can see up into the loft. So my kids are playing up there, I can kind of like, what's going on? I, and I, it's weird, right? I tell them, hey, you need to stop that, put that down. They're like, what, what, what's going on? Where? Right, I use these reflections and shadows. And if they were to kind of see the reflections and shadows, they might see me or see a, an essence of me as well. Or if we're playing hide-and-seek, right? Sometimes uh, l- proper light placement is is bad for the person who's hiding and good for the person who's seeking, right? Because if you're maybe coming around a corner and you see a little shadow, you kind of, you, now you know. Or, um, and and, and it's, I'm not going after the shadow, I'm going after my kid, or my kid is going after me, right, in that game. But we use shadows and reflections. But if the game was all about catching a shadow or reflection, it wouldn't be very fun. The substance of the game is to catch the person. I happen to use shadows and reflections and hopefully... My kids are learning to do that as well. The same is true here. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night and in the dark of night, and the shadows are a little bit darker and dimmer, but, but he understands and knows this shadow all too well, the story of Moses in the wilderness with the people when they, when they tested God and spoke against God and when he, when he sent snakes to bite them and how he made a remedy of a snake on a pole. He knew this shadow. But now, face to face with the Messiah Jesus the Nazarene, he has to do something with the substance that's before him. And, and that's a challenge for all of us today. 
For some who may not believe at all, who have no faith in Christ at all, but they're, they're seeking, and maybe you even know and understand some of the shadows. Like, I get these traditions, I get these shadows. Well, the substance is really Christ. And for you and I who have believed and trusted Christ as our Savior, we have found that substance to be real and satisfying. But sometimes we, we lose our first love, right? We, we kind of forget, and we then go back to playing with shadows and playing with reflections and looking through a mirror dimly instead of gazing into the Savior's face and looking to him every day as the substance of our faith. Paul wrote it in Colossians chapter 2. He said, these things, that, speaking about traditions or these shadows and types in the Old Testament, these are all shadows of what is to come. The substance is Christ. The substance is Christ. And here's the truth of our life and as we live our life. You can either have the shadow or you can have Christ. If you want more of the shadow, you're going to end up with less of Christ. If you want more of Christ, you're going to hold, hold loosely to the shadow. Now, it doesn't mean we let go of the shadow. The shadow points to Christ. It's the story that shows and points. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus. What did he do with the two disciples, the two, the two on, the, on the road? This is after he rose from the dead, right? He rose from, from the grave, and he's, he's walking along the way, and he kept himself from being uh, seen by them. Like, they didn't recognize him. And, and they're, they're saying, don't you know what's happened? And finally, he, he takes out the scriptures, and what does he do? He, he explains in every single scripture that points to him. What is... It's a, that's our sermon series. That road to Emmaus was the sermon series, Shadows of Christ. He opened the scriptures and said, look how it points, look how it points, look how it points. Look at this shadow, look at this type, look at this shadow, look at this type. This all points to the Messiah and what he did, what he taught, and how he died, and how he rose victoriously from the grave. And we need to, we need to embrace the substance, not just the shadows. We want more of Jesus. So as we look at our series today, our, our title is, He Must Be Lifted Up. He must be lifted up. Number one, here's the first point. Why must he be lifted up? He must be lifted up because of our rebellion. Because of our rebellion. Look at Numbers again. Go back to Numbers chapter 21. Look at verses 4 and 5. Again, they sent out from Mount Hor on the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. They didn't get permission from the Edomites to go through their land. They had to go around. Right, they're coming on this huge, like, oh, this is awesome, Red Sea, it's amazing. Now we're going to go in towards the land, it's, it's going to be great. And then they get kind of stopped and said, no, you've got to go around our land. So they bypass and go around. And they start to, start to kind of lose some energy and lose some endurance here. Right, I'm reminded of this, this passage of Scripture where, where you will mount up like on wings like eagles, right? That's like you're going to soar. And then what does it say? It goes on to say, you'll run and not be weary, you'll walk and not faint. Right, that, that's amazing, but there's two things happening there. One, we mount up on wings like eagles, and it's like, yes, we conquer the world. But there's, there's something to, to continue on. There's courage it takes and faith it takes and resolve that it takes to run and not be weary and to walk and not faint. What I see in the Israelites is they were, they were strong, and they were on top of the mountain, and they were, they were at the bottom of the sea, and they were walking across it. And, and they thought they were soaring on the wings of eagles. They felt like it. And as they started walking through the desert on their journey and had to bypass the Edomites, they kind of started to lose some steam. What does it say? They were doing this. They, they became impatient because of the journey, it says. They became impatient. Now, this Hebrew word, if you really looked up this word impatient, here, it means this. They, they were short in soul or they were discouraged in soul. Right? So impatience kind of not the whole thing. But that's what happens with us when we become short in soul. We become impatient. And it's, it's, this is really important for us to understand. When we become impatient, when we become short in soul or discouraged or when we lack faith, 
It's not because God has changed. You can write this down in your notes, right? This is important. When we become impatient, when we lose faith, when we lack faith, when we become short in soul, it's not because God changes. It's because something has changed in us. Something has changed in us. And and the description is there. We have lacked faith. We have become short in soul. Then what happens? The people spoke against God. And God didn't change. Moses was faithful to obey. They spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? What, did, did God change his plans? I, I, wait a minute, I thought God had led them out of Egypt into the wilderness to head into the promised land. That, that was his promise, right? That was his covenant. God didn't change his mind here. But the people started to lose sight and lack faith. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. What changed? They did. Right? They became impatient, and their cravings came back, and their desire for comfort or, or what was familiar came back. Does that sound familiar to you? That, that's what happens to us all the time. Our desires rise up. Our, our preferences rise up. Our comforts rise up. And all the while, God's saying, I promise, this is what I'm giving you. I'm, I'm going to give you this. You've just got to trust me and walk and have some endurance and run and not grow weary. Walk and not faint. But like the Israelites, we tend to become short in soul. We tend to lose heart and lack faith. They lost heart. Interesting how our heart becomes exposed when we run out of faith, isn't it? When we run out of faith, what's really going on in our heart is, is shown. And that's, that's a principle we can learn. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, right? This, this whole story of Jesus being lifted up is going to be for the person who does not know Christ as Savior. But for those of us who do know Christ as Savior, it's also for us. Because as we walk this life, there are plenty of times we will lose heart. And it will reveal exactly where and what's going on inside. Again, notice God didn't change. The people did. God doesn't change his promises. We change because we lose heart and lose faith. And then we rebel against God. I want to look at Psalm 78 if you want to turn there with me. Psalm 78 is a great passage, and I wanted to read the whole thing, but it's really, really long, so we're not going to. But you can read that later for more study on your own for homework. Psalm 78. But we're going to be Psalm 78, 11 through 22, and I I just want to see the progression of what this rebellion looked like and where it came from, right? We know that they lost heart. They became short on soul, right? What happened when they did that? Why did that happen? Look at verse 11. The psalmist writes about the Israelites. They, they forgot what he had done. They forgot what he had done. The wondrous works that he had shown them. He worked wonders in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, the territory of Zon. He split the sea and brought them across. The water stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day and with a fiery light throughout the night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. He brought streams out of the stone and made water flow like rivers, but they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. Why? Because they forgot. And see, that's, that's what happens when we, when, we, when we forget. It's because we, we've lost faith. We've lacked faith and trust. Like, God, this is who you, who you are. This is what you said you're going to do, and this is what you've shown. And then 
we're stuck in the present dealing with what's going on right in front of us and we lose sight of what God has already done and then we lose sight of what he has promised us. So they sinned against him and started to rebel against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food that they craved. They spoke against God, saying, is God able to provide food in the wilderness? So they lose heart, right? That's the first step in here. They forget then what God has done. And then when we forget, we start sinning against God. We put him on trial as though his word wasn't true and his word wasn't right. They test him. They speak against him. They go on and says, look, he struck the the rock and water gushed out. Torrents overflowed, but can he also provide bread or furnish the people with meat? Therefore, the Lord heard and became furious. Now you might say, like, well, isn't it okay just to ask God those questions and say, God, we're hungry here, we need something. Uh, yeah, but the way they said it was more like, God, you can't come through, you aren't coming through, you won't come through. And he sums it up here at the, at the end of this, this passage in verse 22. He said, the Lord became furious and the fire broke out against Jacob and anger flared up against Israel. Why? Verse 22, because, here's the root of it all, because they did not believe God or rely on his salvation. They did not believe God or rely on his salvation. That that is what rebellion looks like. We don't rely on God. We, We don't believe in his salvation. Don't believe God. Don't rely on his salvation. You and I are in the same boat. Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all, we've all rebelled against God. Why, was he, why must he be lifted up on that tree? Because we rebelled against God. Isaiah 53 tells us he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all have gone astray like sheep. We've turned to our own way. This is, again, this is when we lose heart. We we lack faith. We go our own way. We change. We go back to kind of what our roots are. God doesn't change. But the Lord has punished him, that is Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. As we've gone our own way and done our own thing, the Lord punished him for our rebellion. And that leads us to number two. Why must he be lifted up? To bear the burden of sin for us to bear the burden of sin for us. That's why he must be lifted up. We go back to our passage in in Numbers, chapter 21. Look at verse 6. Interesting passage. Other times in this this journey, God God saw them doing something they shouldn't do, and he kind of revealed himself in all his majesty and all his glory to Moses and the Moses to them. And they were like, okay, we're with it. We get it. Okay, we yield. This time there was none of that. There was none of that. All have sinned, and they rebelled against God. And what happened? Verse 6, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. That's, that's the story. That's it, right? I mean, they sinned and rebelled against God, and God's like, eh, tired of this. There you go. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to give you to the count of three, right? One, two, two and a half, right? You, God's not, he's like, you know what? You, you have sinned and you have rebelled against me. And, and it's interesting, we talked about this before, uh, when, pe- when we rebel and we, we go to our own heart and go to our own devices and our own pleasures and our own passions, we are sinning against God. And what we're saying is, God, I know better. And, and what we really say at the heart of that is, God, I want what I want more than what you can give me. So what does God do? He says, fine, I will give you exactly what you want. 
your own way. And your own way, by the way, leads to what? Death. It leads to death. The wages of sin is death. This is the burden that we all carry on our shoulders. Interesting, we think back, this is not the first time people have been snake bit, right? If you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, which is another shadow and type, we'll cover it a different time. But Genesis 3, and, and you see in the Garden of Eden, what happens? The serpent, the snake, comes up and a crafty little creature, cunning little creature, right, comes up and, and tempts Adam and Eve to sin and rebel against God. And they bit. Right? They got snake bit. But they bit. They said, oh yeah, yeah, you're right, God doesn't want us to be like him. And we, we should, we, we deserve that, we, we want that. So they took the fruit and they ate. And sin entered the world. And death entered the world. And they began to die. And they were banished from the Garden of Eden. They were separated from the presence of God. And every one of us downstream from Adam and Eve would have the same fate. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. See, sin and rebellion, we think, well, it's just my way. And all God still cares. Yeah, he cares. He loves you. But he is still the same. He isn't changing with you. He's asking us to change and come to Him. To get over ourselves, get over our own sin, and move towards Him. It's not the first time people were snake bit. And it's not the last. You and I get bit by the snake often. Temptation comes, and we, we become short in soul or lose heart. And we fall into temptation and sin. Again, that sin leads to death. I want to... I read a passage out of Corinthians from Paul. He says this, these things took place like this, as examples. These are examples. So as we look back to this example, as we look back to shadows and types, they are examples so that we will not desire evil things as they did. And Paul says, let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Christ can be trusted. Our hearts cannot. But Christ can be trusted. He goes on, he says, these things happened to them as examples. Again, this is an example set before us. And they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. This is like the end times we're talking about. Be, be weary, uh, ready and wary of this. He says, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. As soon as we start to think, oh, I, I've got this, I can stand. I'll, I'll, what I'm saying is I can stand on my own. I can do it my way. And we will end up falling. Sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The truth is we can't handle this burden of sin on our own. And that's what we try to do. We, we realize we make mistakes. We realize we have messed up and we're not quite as we should be, but that was caused because of our own uh, shortness of soul. And now we try to rebound and, and, and do better and be better, and we just can't do it. So we have to turn and say, help. And that's what they did in Numbers 21, verses 7 and 8. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned. This is probably one of the first times we see the Israelites repent, by the way. Right? Because God always was one, two, okay, fine, here you go. Right? This time he's like, here's the snakes. And they came and said, hey, Moses, we have sinned. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Now, I want to just make a mention of that right there. Because some of us probably, maybe you're not, maybe you're like me. But I, as I read, I'm like, wait, speaking against God and kind of questioning, is that sin? 
Yes, the way they did it was. And even they, they said so themselves. They came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. It was a lack of faith, a lack of trust. They were short on soul, lacking in their heart. Then they said, intercede with the Lord. Do, do something, mediate between us and God. Intercede with the Lord so he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses then interceded for the, for the people. This is that repentance that's coming saying, coming to their senses saying, I don't have it together. What we did was wrong. We need a helper. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it to a pole. And when anyone is bitten, looks at it, he will recover. So here's the remedy, right? We see that, that it, the, Jesus must be lifted up because of our rebellion, and he must be lifted up to carry the burden of our sin. But, but why the image of the snake? Interestingly, like in the medical field, what do you see, right? That snake, what, it, it goes back to this. You look to the snake, you're healed, right? And I'm sure the world has twisted it and made it its own little thing so it doesn't align with the Bible, but that's where it came from. Why the snake image, though? Because what did the snake represent? Rebellion and sin and death. So deception. Why, so why, why make it a snake and look at the snake? What do you think? For you and I to really come to faith, for you and I to really come to our senses, we have got to look at and stare at and come face to face with the depth of our sin. We can't go around like, oh, yeah, it was kind of bad. It was really kind of We have to look it square in the face and say, yeah, that's what bit me. That's what my sin, that's what caused this. We have to come face to face with it and know the depths of our sin. That you were following a serpent, so look at it. If you want to follow it, look at it. And as you look at it, you're going to see yourself. You look squarely at your sin and you look squarely into your refusal to trust God. That's why a snake. Why else a snake? Because if we fast forward to the New Testament, we fast forward to Jesus, and Jesus is the one lifted up on the tree. right? He's crucified on this cross, and, and he's the serpent that's lifted up so that all would see, just as he said to Nicodemus, right? the Son of Man also has to be lifted up just like the snake. Why? It points forward to Jesus who took on our sin. He became sin. He became the ugly serpent on the cross so that the wrath of God could be placed on him for us. For us. Paul says he made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, speaking of the cross. In First Peter we see he did not commit sin, that's Jesus, committed no sin. He wasn't a snake, he wasn't a serpent, he had no sin in himself, but he took your sin, he took my sin upon himself. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Do you realize that, that when he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, he was not entrusting himself to God saying, God, you're going to judge me justly. He says, God, I know that your justice is, is all that matters right now and that the justice of God is going to be carried out on me for them. So I will entrust myself to the one who judges their sin justly 
on my shoulders because I have said, do that. And he took on the sins of the world. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Have you looked at your sin square in the face recently? Are you still dabbling with shadows and reflections of it and maybe essences of it and reminders of it? God calls us to look squarely in the face of our sin. To call it sin. And to repent of that sin knowing that Jesus Christ has died to pay the penalty that you deserve, that I deserve. And that by faith in him, we can be healed. Have you looked at your sin recently? Have you repented as you see that Christ has hung in your place on that cross? That he was lifted up for your recovery, for your benefit? Have you turned to him in faith? And that leads us to the third point. He must be lifted up so we can look to him in faith and be healed. He must be lifted up so we can look to him in faith and be healed. Look at verse uh, 9 here in Numbers. So Moses, and this is interesting, like it's one, one verse, God sends the snakes in and they bite people and they die. And they die. Then there's some repentance and, and, uh, and, and interceding. And then one verse at the end, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. All they had to do was look in faith to the one lifted up. That's all they had to do. Look in faith. Isaiah 45, 22 says this, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Do you, you realize that's what we're saying when we turn to him? And this, this word, turn to, in Isaiah 45, actually means to look at, to turn your focus from something else, turn to and look at in faith. But when we look at him in faith, it's not like, well, I'm just going to try all the things I can try. Let's try looking there. It was the only way. That was the only way to be healed in the desert. Jesus Christ is the only way to be healed right now from our sin. Why? For I am God, he says, and there is no other. There's no other. But thank God he's giving us the way to be healed. Turn to me. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Turn to him. That's all. Turn to him. The, the problem is that's just too simple, isn't it? It's too simple. And, and it's interesting. We, we come here week after week, like, like I want these big, long explanations, and I need to really get it down, and, and, and I'm going to put them in a binder, and I'll build it really tall, and I'll look through it, and maybe one day I'll understand the fullness of what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to be as a Christian. I think it's great to come and to, to learn from God's Word and to see that everything points to Jesus and that everything says you and I need to look to Him to be healed. That's the simple message of it all. I told you before how many times I feel that I, I repeat things every single Sunday. Why? Because the gospel doesn't change. The message is true. You and I have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, that the wages of that sin is death, and that the free gift of God is, is in Jesus Christ our Lord who was lifted up on a cross and who died in my place, and who died in your place, that if we would look to him, that we would be healed. If we would turn from ourselves and look to him, we would be healed. And not only would we be healed from our sin, we would 
live forever because the one who took on our sin and died also rose again victoriously. He conquered death. And because he lives, if we look to him in faith, we will live also. What a blessing that is. It's too simple though, right? There has to be more. There has to be some secret code or a secret handshake or maybe a list of chores to accomplish. Some, something, right? A membership card. Anyone have that membership card? I, right? We want to sign up for that. Nope. It's just Jesus lifted up on a cross and our hearts turned to him in repentant faith. Just look at him. Just look at him. It's simple. But it's extremely important. Paul writes about the simplicity of this in Corinthians. He says, the word of the cross, this, this gospel message of looking to him, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to those who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I'll set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jew asks for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Galatians or Gentiles. Interesting, right? That, that we, we can make all these big arguments and the, and the world wants the ones who are wise and the teachers and the debaters to come up with this wisdom of the age and all of that is foolishness to God. God said that it's Christ and Him crucified. We preach Christ and crucified that, and that those who look and believe will be saved. It's the sim- simplicity of the message and everything else then flows from that. We, see, we are healed by looking at Him. And we were healed, we're given a righteousness that we never deserved. And that's one of our last passages in Romans chapter 3. The righteousness of God. So this idea of attaining the righteousness of God and, and I, I can do all these things. No, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to be made right with God, if you want your sins to be forgiven and you want to be able to stand before God on judgment day with, with looking perfect, by the way, you never will be on your own, right? I never will on my own. But if you want that, a righteousness from God is through faith in Jesus Christ. You say, that's foolishness. I, maybe it sounds that way, but it's the wisdom of God. It's, it's, it's through faith in Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely. They, when Moses lifted up the snake, they didn't need to pay money. They didn't need to say a certain amount of prayers. They just looked freely and gazed freely into the face of their sin and gazed freely into the face of their freedom and they trusted and had faith and they were healed so is, so it's true for you and i there's no no distinction we are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in christ jesus see god presented him as the mercy seat by, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint god had passed over the sins previously committed God said, here, I'm going to give you Jesus. Jesus is going to be the sacrifice. Jesus is going to pay for sins once and for all. I'm not going to overlook sins. I'm going to put them on Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just. God had to be just. God had to punish him, but he would also justify the one who has faith in Jesus. 
Just look at Him. Look at Him in faith today. And, and you know what we have to do in order to do that? We have to stop looking at the other things in this world that we are putting our faith in. We have to set aside our own agendas, our own priorities, our own preferences, our own pleasures, our own comfort, and say, none of that is going to heal me. Only Jesus heals. So we look to him in faith today. Everything else are shadows and reflections. They're shadows of what is to come. The substance is Christ. The substance is Christ. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you as we look to uh, the Old Testament, we look to these shadows or types that we see there. God, we, we thank you that they all point forward to Jesus. That, and they are just shadows and reflections. And God, they're, they're great to know and great to learn and great to acknowledge and great to, to help us. But God, if, if we're, all we're doing is embracing shadows and reflections or types, help us repent of that. Help us turn from that and turn instead to faith in the one that is the substance, and that is Jesus Christ. We thank you that you willingly chose to go to the cross. To, you willingly chose to be the one lifted up. And God, as we look to you in faith, we see and acknowledge the depth of our sin. You are not on the cross because of our sin. You were not there to die for what you had done. You were there to die for what I had done wrong, what we had done wrong. So God, we see we see our sin on that cross, but we also see our Savior. We see the one who offers us forgiveness, who offers us life, who offers us healing because of his sacrifice. Help us look to Jesus, to stop looking at everything else in this world that we think might satisfy, to set them aside and look to Jesus. We want you to be lifted up. We want to not lose heart or become short in soul. We want to embrace you and trust you and rely on your promises and your grace. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.